Catholic vocations. Making the process of discerning your vocation in the Catholic Church less mysterious. Empowering you with tools to make a better informed choice for the most important decision in your life. The Father's house has many mansions. What will your path be to reach heaven? Welcome to this first episode of Catholic Vocations Podcast. We are celebrating today National Vocations Awareness Week, a fine day to inaugurate this podcast. Today's theme is the happily ever after fairy tale debunked. Part 1 Today, I wish to share with you my thoughts about our call to happiness. Next week, in the second part, we will talk about how the happily ever after myth that is culturally ingrained in us can lead us astray when we are discerning marriage. Let's start with our call to happiness. When I was a child, I loved reading fairy tales. While I am not a literary critic, I noticed several themes that were common to most of these fairy tales. For example, some were morality tales, tales of caution. For example, if you had a fairy godmother who was disguised and waiting by the well to see how people would treat her, and one person would treat her badly and another person would treat her well, and she would reward the person who treated her well with all kinds of wonderful gifts and punish the person who did not treat her well. That was clearly a morality tale. With other kinds of fairy tales, you might have somebody who is quite ordinary, who goes into very extraordinary circumstances, or who meets somebody very extraordinary where magic is involved. An extraordinary adventure happens. And with this kind of fairy tale, there is usually some kind of extraordinary reward offered for some kind of extraordinary service or deed. The reward offered can be something like the hand of a maiden or of a prince in marriage, or it could be something like lots of wealth, or something worthwhile like saving someone's life. Whatever it is, these are things that call to our hearts. In other words, these fairy tales tap into our deepest longings, what we consider our deepest longings, our longings for security, our longings for wealth or power, our longings for happiness. Certainly, one of the desires that many of us have is to be transformed from living an ordinary life to one in which we are extraordinary to one where we will be remembered for all time. These are all desires of our hearts that fairy tales will tap into. Of course, the rewards that they depict can go way, way overboard. For example, you know, the fairy tale where someone does a good deed and jewels and gold coins fall out of her mouth, whereas her sister, who was nasty, has snakes and toads coming out of her mouth when she speaks. I don't know about you, but at some point you might want to do something else besides have gold and jewels fall out of your mouth. For example, if you wanted to talk, if you wanted to sing, you really don't want jewels falling out of your mouth every single time you open it. 
The lesson, though, I think, is that in many of these stories, you've got a situation where something extraordinary happens to ordinary people. And it could be because they picked up a magical item. It could be because they were kind to someone who had extraordinary powers like a fairy godmother. It could be that they were really good at solving puzzles and could solve riddles. Or perhaps they were physically fit and were able to do all kinds of extraordinary feats like climbing up a glass mountain. What happens in these tales is that something goes beyond the ordinary and something becomes extraordinary. And deep down, this is what we secretly want. As human beings, we would like to be physically fit to the point where we could climb all those glass mountains or be clever enough to answer riddles correctly. And of course, we love the rewards that come from wonderful deeds. So these desires of our hearts are normal, and those fairy tales do speak to us. At a certain point, we start to believe fairy tales. We start to become quite surprised because when we are actually doing something extraordinary, for example, if we were to climb Mount Everest or become extraordinarily wealthy, or if we do something like getting married, having that companion, having that spouse, we start to realize that having or doing these things, no matter how extraordinary, how wonderful, they do not make us happy. I should probably say this again, even getting married, having that companion, having that wonderful spouse does not necessarily mean that the problem of loneliness is solved, that the void in our heart is full, and all of a sudden we be magically become happy. And this is what I wanted to talk about, which is that I think fairy tales are a good way of pointing to eternal desires, or I should say the desire for the infinite. There is only one person who is going to satisfy our infinite longing for contentment and happiness, and that someone is God. Without God, everything essentially becomes meaningless. It's not capable of giving us happiness. And the reason is because we have infinite desires. No matter how much wealth we accumulate on this earth, None of that is going to make us happy. Oh, it can definitely buy things to make us comfortable. But it's not going to give us that inner happiness, that inner joy, that inner feeling of contentment. Why? Because we are created with a raging desire for fulfillment. and. We are also given the key to quench that raging fire. We're given the secret for becoming happy, and that is to become holy. Christ tells us in the gospel to accumulate our treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. He's not joking. You can accumulate a lot of wealth on this planet. However, when we die, we can't bring it with us to the afterlife. If we are smart, we will accumulate wealth in heaven with our good deeds and collaborating with the grace that God has given us. 
practicing the virtues and growing in the love of God and neighbor is what helps us build our eternal wealth for heaven. And by doing this, we will contribute to our mansions in heaven. And by the way, the rewards in heaven will make a lot more sense than the rewards in the fairy tales. You know, you are not going to have gold and jewels falling out of your mouth every time you open it or any ridiculous things like that. Instead, you will be immersed in the goodness of God to such an extent that scripture says that I has not seen nor ear heard what the Lord has prepared for his loved ones in heaven. We will be absolutely bursting with happiness in heaven to the extent that is unimaginable to us. The more we grow in the love of God and in charity on earth, the greater this well of happiness will be in heaven. I would say that the best kind of fairy tale is not a fairy tale, but the story of the life of someone who lives an ordinary life in an extraordinary way, transforming the ordinary everyday things into a means of building up reward in heaven. We have a lot of opportunities on this earth disguised. Yes, these things are disguised. Okay, instead of having the fairy godmother who is disguised, we have something better. We have, for example, how we treat people, our neighbors. Christ said that what you do to the least of my brethren, you do unto me. So he's disguised as your neighbor, how you treat your neighbor. And this fairy tale, or I should say your life, should be the story of something that is ordinary, transformed into the extraordinary. And hopefully, it will be filled with happiness. Now, let's talk a little bit about happiness. As you know, in Lumen Gentium chapters 3 and 4, which are about the universal cult of holiness and the laity, it's actually about the universal cult to happiness. Because to be happy is to be holy and vice versa. So I wanted to talk a little bit about breaking down what it means in practical terms to be holy, especially in the lay state. Now, let me just say this. One of the saddest things I encounter is when somebody is under the impression that holiness is only for, let's say, a priest or maybe a monk, perhaps a hermit, you know, it's these kind of people who are supposed to be holy. As far as the rest of everybody, oh, well, they don't have to be holy, you know? This is sad. Why is it sad? Because if you are convinced that holiness is not for you, then you're convinced that happiness is not for you. And surely you do want to be happy. So let's talk about holiness. And Let's begin with a little exercise. I'm going to have you take out a sheet of paper. And if you need to pause this podcast in order to do it, that's fine. So take your sheet of paper and you're going to have two columns. 
And in the two columns, and by the way, somebody had done an exercise like this and told me about it, but unfortunately I can't even remember who did this. And so I can't actually give them credit, but whoever it is, thank you very much. Okay, so you have your two columns. Now we're going to label one column holy. And then we're going to label the other column not holy. All right. And now I'm going to read out some things that you can do. And I would like you to put them into the appropriate column. Okay. So I will read this slowly. So you can copy it as you will into the appropriate column. So number one, go for a walk. Please think about that and use your gut feeling, put it in the holy or not holy column. Number two, write a thank you note. Number three, clean the church pews. Number four, Help someone find their glasses. Number five, learn a new skill. Number six, study the Bible. Number seven, gossip about a coworker. Number eight, load the dishwasher. Number nine, attend a meeting. Number 10, listen to this podcast. Okay, how did that go? So let's review the two columns together. And I will put what I wrote for the holy and the not holy column. Okay, so here we go. Number one, go for a walk. I put that in the holy column because it is a good thing, meaning it's a virtuous thing to get exercise and care for your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you're doing this, when you're fulfilling the will of God in your day-to-day -day obligations and joys and stuff like that, it belongs in the holy category. All right, number two, write a thank you note. When you write a thank you note, you are expressing gratitude for something. And that is a good thing. So put it in the holy column. Clean the church pews. Well, you know, I'm not sure if you stuff this into the holy category or not, but I'm putting it in there because, you know, it's a good thing to do. As long as it's not taking away from your other obligations. So stuff that in the holy column. Number four, help someone find their glasses. When you are doing somebody a charity, like hunting around for their glasses, and it might be on the top of their head, it's a good thing. So again, score again for the holy column. Number five, learn a new skill. You know, what they say about our Lord, as he grew, he grew wisdom he grew in wisdom and knowledge, okay? He grew in skill. He grew. Our Lord, God, who knew everything was the most perfect, he learned. And this is what we can do as well. We can learn a new skill. And in fact, being human 
for us, in order to continue to develop and grow, um, sometimes learning a new skill is part of it, okay? And it's a good thing. So this also goes into the holy category. All right, study the Bible. I'm pretty sure you put that in the holy category, and I did too. So let's go on to number seven, gossip about a coworker. You know what? That is a sin. Gossiping is a sin. So I'm going to stuff that into the not holy category. Okay? Number eight, load the dishwasher. Well, as you know, we as human beings have needs. And part of it is, you know, eating and so on and so forth. And of course, that also requires cleaning up. And loading the dishwasher is part of that. So we're going to put that into the holy category because it is fulfilling your obligations of life. This is presuming, of course, it's false to you to do the dishes. Maybe it's somebody else's chore, in which case it's holy for them to do it. Okay, number nine, attend a meeting. Well, it's a holy thing to do if this is an appropriate meeting to attend. Obviously, you don't want to I don't know, attend a satanic worshipers meeting, but maybe this is an office meeting or maybe it's a meeting to help somebody out. Anyway, in general, though, if it's not being done for evil purposes, it is a holy thing to do. So put it under the holy category. Number 10, listen to this podcast. Well, I certainly hope that this is holy for you to do and that you're not neglecting your other duties in order to listen to it. So, how did you like this exercise? You know, we often think of holy things as being things that are related to churchy kinds of activities. Cleaning the pews, might be being an usher at Mass, or serving at Mass, or reading at Mass, or maybe being part of the choir. Or maybe you participate in parish activities or diocesan events. But doing that kind of thing is good if it is done in a manner that doesn't go against your obligations. But at the same time, we have to realize that everything we do has the potential to be good or bad. Everything has the potential for making us a saint or bringing us condemnation. So I think this is something that we really have to internalize, that being holy is not something highly mysterious. Being holy is something that we are all called to do. And we are called to be more and more holy. That is, everything that we do can be permeated with the love of God, ourselves, and neighbor. So in other words, you can bring your intentions and purify them before the Lord when you're doing something, okay? If you're going and taking a walk, begin the walk with the sign of the cross. Maybe it's an invisible sign of the cross if you're walking with a lot of people. But, you know, you go for a walk for the love of God, okay? And if you're writing a thank you note, you thank God as well for whatever gift he has given you through this other person. So in other words, you can grow and grow and grow in virtue. 
and in that love of neighbor and the love of God in the most ordinary things of life. Okay. I remember I was reading um, this book that was actually written for nuns. It was a devotional book. It was talking about this sister who had gotten seven degrees of holiness just from eating her egg at a meal. And how did she do that? I, I don't remember the details exactly. Maybe she said, you know, a Hail Mary between each bite or something like that. But the bottom line is even the most ordinary thing can be transformed into something extraordinary when you are doing something for the love of God. If you're suffering for the love of Christ who suffered on the cross, if you unite your sufferings with him, if you are having fun, there is a story of one of the saints and he was playing. One of the persons he was playing with said, hey, what would you be doing if you knew that in seven minutes you would die? And he said, well, I would continue playing because this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And if you think about it, that is perfectly right. You need recreation. This is good for you. Of course, everybody needs some form of recreation. They need rest and relaxation. Then that is a holy thing to do. Of course, you shouldn't go overboard, but you do need a basic amount of recreation. So we shouldn't say, oh, I need to spend all of my time in the chapel because, you know, I need to be holy. No, 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 no. God has us be holy in the ordinary circumstances of our lives, particularly if you are a lay person. Now, I do want to mention a little bit about that because a lot of people have this idea that a lay person can't be holy or is not called to holiness or things like that. And that the only things that count for holiness are the churchy things. Okay. And I want to just read something that St. John Paul II um, said in one of his documents on the laity. And he says that there are two temptations that the laity have not always known how to avoid. The temptation of being so strongly interested in church services and tasks that some fail to become actively engaged in their responsibilities in the professional, social, cultural, and political world, and the temptation of legitimizing the unwarranted separation of faith from life. That is, a separation of the gospel's acceptance from the actual living of the gospel in various situations in the world. So, in other words, a lot of people think that you have to ditch your responsibilities, you know. You don't need to be professional. You don't have to build up your social acumen, and you don't have to be involved in cultural activities or in politics to do so is somehow unholy you know it is maybe bad even but that is not what the church considers true in fact the responsibility of the laity of lay persons is to sanctify the ordinary world and that means being a witness 
maybe if you're a politician, it means being a witness as a politician with integrity who orders his or her life and politics with the gospel values. Or, for example, if you were engaged in cultural achievements, you might be engaged in, for example, being a painter, an artist. In some way, you are elevating humanity by your arts. Or you, you may be a professional, and it is up to you to sanctify the world by being good in your field, doing things with integrity, fulfilling your duties for the love of God and for the love of neighbor, having at all times within you that acknowledgement that, you know, sometimes having that integrity is going to cost you in worldly terms. This is something that I believe needed to be shared which is that sometimes we have the idea that, well, lay people can't be holy. The only people who are holy are the people who are people like priests and religious, right? And that's just a falsehood, okay? What is true is that God is actually calling us to transform the ordinary to the extraordinary. He is calling us to be growing in the love of God and ourselves and our neighbors. And by doing that, that little void in our hearts, you know, that longing for that infinite is going to be filled. The more we actively practice the virtues, the better we do the things in accordance with God's will, the happier we'll become and the closer we'll become to our Lord. And if we have a robust prayer life, if we are doing what we can to become more perfectly aligned with God's will, we will be opening the doors to becoming mystics on this earth, okay? The most well-kept secret of the Catholic Church is the secret of mysticism in which a person can be absolutely happy, enthralled, okay? And unfortunately, this is not taught very well. Most people don't know it. And yet, this is something that we are all called to. And so I do suggest that you look into the writings of some of our mystic saints. In particular, I would suggest that you read an introduction to this. For example, St. Teresa of Avila wrote The Way of Perfection. I suggest that that is a good book to read about the path to mysticism. I hope that you have enjoyed these reflections, which will provide context for many future episodes. Next week, we will continue in part two.